Hi everyone, I hope we are all doing okay. Welcome back to Social Problems Week 9. So we're almost almost there, guys. Um, just a reminder that your exam is next week. So please make sure you are studying and looking over week 6 through week uh, 9, going over all the articles, going over all the lecture slides, and of course listening to the podcast, whatever it takes for you guys to learn. Um, today we're going to be looking at health in the U.S. Um, this is a very obviously very important subject right now uh, with us all being home uh, with COVID. Um, I'm not going to cover COVID particularly um, in this lecture. However, I left you an article um, about it for you to read and that could be a part of your discussion if you want to talk about that. Um, I might mention a little bit about it at the end. Um, but what I'm going to be talking about in terms of health is what we consider health in terms of how we look at health as sociologists and, um, kind of going over our health situation in the U S. Um, so as you see the first couple of slides on slide, on slide five, um, I give you the world health organization definition, which is, uh, health is defined as a a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, right? And so when we think about health, we usually kind of categorize it in terms of the physical aspect, but obviously mental health um, is really important. Mental health is something that has kind of been in um, our discussions over the past 10 years. Um, oh God, I'm so old, probably 20 years. And so it's important to kind of think about health, not just within terms of the physical, but as well as the mental, our mental state. Um, I just kind of give you some facts there on slides um, six, seven, eight, nine about how we define both physical and mental health. Um, so again, physical health is looking at um, right our bodies in that sense. Um, and giving you just some some data based on that. And of course, mental health is a bit harder to define where we think of mental health is um, includes sort of the well-being um, of our um, emotions, of our social, as well as psych psychological well-being. And so what that means is that looking at our emotional state, uh, looking what's happening in our brains, right? Because sometimes uh, mental health could be driven by biology as well as environment. Um, and of course, our social well-being, right? Because humans are social animals um, and we see things happening in extreme cases when we go under total isolation. Probably something that's happening now for everyone with uh, COVID. So if you're noticing some things, um, right, in terms of how isolation is affecting you, um, you're you're definitely not alone in, in, that, in this instance. Um... When we think about mental health particularly, it's important to realize again how um, how sort of society and norms shape how we look at things. So when we think about mental health particularly, uh, society wasn't always kind in terms of the conversation about mental health, particularly here in the U.S. Um, a lot of times mental health wasn't taken seriously. Um, we see that this is 
still kind of the case, particularly when we think about things like gender, right? Where, for example, men are kind of socialized not to show emotions and why that leads to higher rate to things like suicide. Um, and so mental health has been something we've been as an American society has been trying to work on, um, and trying to bring more awareness on it based on the fact that most of the time when we think about mental health, we categorize it as a stigma. Right. Um, and I have a definition of stigma on slide 10 for you, um, a discrediting label that can negatively affect an individual self-concept. Um, and what that really means is that when, when we think about mental health, a lot of people might respond to it like, oh, suck it up. Oh, you're fine. Um, without really recognizing how serious of an issue it, it, it is. Um, and so it's important to kind of, when we think about health is to of course think about the physical aspect of health, but of course, obviously the mental health, um, and especially in this time of COVID. Um, I lead into then what we think about health here in the country, in the U S um, unfortunately we don't do very well in terms of healthcare in the U S we have a very, uh, low ranking when it comes to health in the U S particularly because it reflects so much of our economic inequality because it's unequally distributed. Um, and that means is that not everyone has access to proper healthcare. And I think COVID has exposed that even though COVID's not the only thing that has exposed that there's many examples, um, but we see those who don't have a lot of access are more likely to be damaged by COVID. Um, and so this is extremely problematic. I left you guys here on slide for 14, a kind of comparison to look at what other people are doing in the world. Uh, particularly, I look at France um, that has been voted overwhelmingly the best healthcare system uh, for many years in a row, um, or at least top five for many years in a row. Um, this is an older video, but it really talks about the French system and particularly how different it is uh, for, from ours. I also give you access to um, Canadian, um, our sort of Canadian uh, neighbors and their healthcare system. And um, here's a Senate hearing of a woman who came to the Senate to kind of talk about the myths around Canadian healthcare because we hear a lot of, oh, people die on waiting lists and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that, that's not quite the case. What has happened in the US though, however, is how uh, and what people talk about um, when we think about kind of categorizing our healthcare system in the US is is really before the American um the affordable sorry the affordable care act and ap and after the affordable care act so before the ACA and after the ACA and really I just want to talk first briefly about before the ACA now if the affordable care act doesn't sound familiar for you this is also known as Obamacare Right, so Affordable Care Act and Obamacare is the same thing. Um, you'll see on week nine continued, I left a slide that a lot of people didn't realize it was the same thing and kind of made opinions based on that. Um, so of course, please don't make the same mistake if Jimmy Kimmel goes and interviews you. Um, the ACA and Obamacare are the, exactly the same thing. Obamacare is just the nickname for the ACA. Um, so let's talk about what, what US was like before the ACA. Um, 
as we talked about our systems in terms of rankings, what makes the U.S. very special, uh, maybe special is not the right word, uh, but what makes the U.S. a quite particular case is that not only do we have one of the worst healthcare systems compared to other Western nations, again, keyword being Western nations, um, but it's also the most expensive compared to other Western nations. Um, and so that's what so makes it such an interesting case is that we pay more than other Western states, um, and yet we constantly um, do not do well compared to our Western counterparts. Um, it is, um, we saw in slide 16, I just give you sort of a, an economic view where healthcare in the country cost about 12 billion in the 1950s, and it's about 2.8 trillion now in 2012. And of course that, um, that that continues to be sort of on the rise um again before the 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 ACA really enacts in in 2012 so really looking at how much healthcare uh costs in this country um i'm giving you six reasons why this is right the spread of private insurance more doctors who specialize more high technology a lack of preventative care an aging population and more lawsuits and then the rest of the slides kind of explain this in detail very uniquely to the U.S. system, that two of them that I'm going to go over is a lack of preventative care. Preventative care has proven over and over again to be really, really useful. And that what that preventative care means is that um, if you go get a regular checkup every year and you don't wait till something is serious, um, doctors are more likely to catch things early and therefore they are less expensive right where because a lot of americans don't have have healthcare um insurance they're they usually wait to the last minute and by that time the problem has has you know evolved um and therefore it, it becomes more expensive to look at um or to, to treat and so we see cases like in cuba for example where um they don't have as much money as the U.S., but a lot of their, because of their preventative care treatment, uh, Cubans on an average live about the same as an American. So we have the same average as someone who lives in Cuba, uh, Cuba um, but they spend like a lot less on their, on their medicine because they've invested so much in a preventative care program. Um, and that's something we haven't really cultivated here in terms of our societal norms in the U.S., Another thing that makes the U.S. a lot more expensive um, is uh, lawsuits. <laughs> um, again, very unique to American culture, um, where hospitals spend a lot of money on HMO insurance. Um, and because there's a growing lawsuits against um, doctors um, and therefore uh, we see that there is a. Um, right there, there's a lot of sort of response um, in that sense where a lot of programs pay a lot more and um for insurance which makes it a bit more expensive um so this is why we are kind of in this weird conundrum before the ACA why healthcare is so expensive in the US um and of course after 2012 when the ACA um kind of takes takes footing and it takes a long time after things are um passed and and signed by presidents um where we're trying to kind of find our footing with the ACA. Um, and so, but before the ACA, we spent a lot of money within our insurance and I have a lot more details for you guys there. Um, at the end of the lecture, I'm just giving you some of our public health 
insurance programs, again, before the ACA, um, where we always had public health insurance. We have something known as uh, Medicaid, something known as CHIP, right? These are state programs um, that have been designated to um, help people who can't afford healthcare, to help them get healthcare. Um, And of course, in the next slide on slide 28, you see some public programs for um, people in service. So there's the military health service and of course, um, the VA administration, right? That um, the Veterans Health Administration that has, um, right, take care of uh, people in the military after their service. Sorry, I'm just clicking here. There's also this last slide I want you to think about, although I don't have too much time to go in. And again, guys, just remember these podcasts are like really brief just to get you up to speed. I don't want to do a full 15 minute lecture because you guys would probably all die listening to talking about health and mental health. This will probably be very bad for your mental health. Uh, to listen to my voice for 50 minutes. Um, so please make sure you know I'm, I'm going through things really quickly. And if you need something more expansive, go ahead and feel free to email me. Um, but I do want to say something just really quickly about the alternative health programs. Uh, when we think about it in terms of society and norms, the U.S. has had a lot of Uh, movements in terms of alternative health programs. Um, And so this has been really interesting to kind of watch, particularly anti-vaccinators is is a very interesting movement of those who want alternative medicines to health, um, to healthcare. Um, In the time of COVID, in the time of kind of waiting for a vaccine, I think this will be a very interesting subject to kind of think about in that sense. Um, But of course, we saw all over the U.S. that both states and individual people had battles um, should they vaccinate their kids, right? Um, should it be mandatory? Should it not be mandatory? And and what that means. And so, um, although we haven't gotten really behind the preventative healthcare uh, mindset within society, which would health wise is proven to be more useful, uh, we have definitely, as a society, um, uh, had a lot of different movements on alternative health. Um, and so. Again, in the time of COVID, what what is this going to mean? And I think the anti-vaccinators um, is a really interesting uh, movement to kind of look at right now. All right, I'm done with the first slide. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys take a break. And then um, we'll go ahead and finish uh, week nine, part two, where I'm going to talk about the ACA and what happens after the ACA. So again, that lecture was before the ACA and our little bit about the healthcare system. Please, please, please make sure you watch the video on France, because I think it's really interesting to have this comparison. There's tons of articles about other countries, um, but I really recommend that you watch what I have there for you. All right, we'll go ahead and take a break and we'll start with the next lecture. All right, guys, we're back. Um, Let's go ahead and talk about um, the ACA and what is the Affordable Care Act. Um, oh, I thought I had that link in there for you and I did not have that link or maybe I do. Um, oh no, I don't. Okay. That's okay. Um, maybe I'll post it on the announcements, but you could do it yourselves. I would just Google Jimmy Kimmel ACA, um, and it comes up and it shows the people who don't know what, uh, that the ACA and Obamacare are the same thing. Um, 
in terms of when we think about health and movement, uh, this seems kind of odd to say in the time of COVID, because um, I know you guys were a lot younger when the ACA came out. Um, but this was the Affordable Care Act was the biggest move we've made in terms of health care in this country for a, for a very long time. And so it was very controversial. Um, there was a lot of debates around it. And so what's so interesting, though, is how little people actually know what was in the bill. Um, and so for slide four, five, and six, I left you guys very specific things that this bill has in it. Now it's a bill, it's over 400 pages, um, but some of these things you, you should definitely look at. So um, for example, um, you should know what the country's health insurance is. So please make sure you're looking at um, things that benefit you personally, particularly that on, on line six, you see that I have that in the bill, it requires health insurance plans to provide dependent coverage for children up to age 26. Um, in the bill, we had things like where insurance companies couldn't prohibit uh, people from gaining insurance if they had a pre-existing condition. Um, so what that means is sometimes if you lost your insurance, say like you had cancer and you went into remission and then you lost your insurance, well, it'd be really hard for you to get insurance again because you have can you had cancer before, right? Um, and so it, it denied insurance companies from um, doing that, right? Now they had to accept people with pre-existing conditions. Um, it um, allowed, um, sorry, it denied companies from putting a lifetime uh, cover lifetime cap coverage on medicine. Um, and so if you listen to one of the videos I have about um, this cancer patient, particularly this woman talks about our husband had cancer and how their um, insurance had this cap on it and therefore they had to pay for it themselves and she's about $500,000 in debt with insurance. Um, and so again, looking at getting rid of these sort of caps um, that um, and coverage that insurance companies used to have before the ACA. Um, we have tax breaks in here, right? The tax breaks, uh, uh, tax breaks to businesses that provided insurance to their employees uh, that usually qualify for businesses that had 50 or more employees. Um, it was expansion of uh, Medicare to Medicaid. Um, and so there's a lot that happens with this bill. What was so interesting about the bill, about the Affordable Care Act, in terms of thinking about this in American society and norms, um, where there was, when the bill first came out, there was a lot of objections to the bills, and we saw that there was a political split between the bill. Um, after the bill came out, though, however, which was very shocking, and we saw this in 2018, is that how many people actually really liked the bill or the Affordable Care Act, regardless of political um, association. And so what we saw in 2018 um, were people who um, you would think would not like this bill come out in town hall meetings against politicians trying to get rid of the ACA. I have links here for you showing this on uh, slide seven, eight, and nine. And I it's definitely worth a watch to look at how 
Um, and I know you guys weren't around during this time, or you were little, I guess, during this time when the ACA came out, but there was a lot of people opposing this bill, and then it comes out, and people experience it, and then a lot of people like this bill. Um, and so it's really interesting to kind of look at how this became one of the biggest social movements. I know I talk about Black Lives Matters being the biggest social movement, uh, but before that, really, again, um, we have a big social movement in health, right, that that definitely took off in 2018 um, that we saw here in this country. A lot of politicians that ran in 2018 uh, won their congressional seat based on having um, a health care agenda. And so obviously health care is really important in terms of what's happening here in the U.S. Um, will this happen again with COVID, right? We have an election coming up. Um, and so we see healthcare and COVID being again forefront in terms of the conversation within our country, um, and what that means in terms of the ACA, um, what this means of, of what's going to happen with the Affordable Care Act, and so it's it's a really interesting perspective of of where we should be. I know you guys at this age are, are not really thinking about insurance and um, health and and. Um, um, you know, what, what's happening in terms of, or maybe you are in, in terms of how our healthcare system runs, or you might not even understand your own healthcare system, uh, but pay attention to it, right? Because again, um, health is obviously really important and, and what that means, um, in terms of how this is going to be decided is definitely going to be now, right? It's even more, um, even push further with, uh, what's happening with COVID. Um, Okay. I'm going to go ahead and kind of switch gears now, looking at um, our sociological perspective, starting with functionalism. Um, again, functionalism argue that um, health is very important function in society. Of course it is. Um, where we see that if a society is not healthy, there is a huge, there's huge issues um, with, with society as a whole, of course. Um, and structural functionalists really look at um, sort of how health changes and affects sort of these social uh, social patterns. Um, and of course, we see this very much so that where um, s s health leads to social change, right? We, again, I, I want to refer back to 2018, where we saw people um, who would usually not be for programs like this really love the ACA uh, and fighting their... their um, their, their, um, you know, congressman or, or Senate, um, to keep the ACA, um, people lost seats, right. Who are in safe districts have lost seats over the ACA. Um, and so obviously health concerns do lead to really big social change. And that's something that a functionalist would, would sort of look at about how it changes society. Um, even more drastic historical examples, right? If there are plague, for example, um, governments can be wiped out. Um, and so having a healthy society is extremely important. We are looking at how politicians and society kind of react to COVID right now. And I think this has drawn a lot of I would say just, I guess, a lot of good examples of, of how people perceive health um, and how much this sort of changes society and in a whole, obviously. I've heard people talking about how they're afraid they don't think they'll ever be able to be in a large crowd again, right? So how COVID is going to change our society and how we think about being around people in crowds is definitely um, something that has affected us. And if you're a structural functionalist, this is something you would study. 
If you're a conflict theorist, you'll be looking at a totally different aspect of it. You'll be particularly looking at how um, how people profit off of health um, and illnesses. And so conflicts are looking at how um, they'll be looking more in terms of corporations and politicians and how they create laws to make profit based off of, of health. Um, and so they would really, if you're a conflict theorist, you're really looking at our pharmaceutical healthcare industry um, where you could do sort of comparisons about how drug prices are made, who gets to set them, is it fair or not, who gets to set them. Um, but that's what you'd be kind of exploring as a conflict theorist. How do people profit off of healthcare? Um, a symbolic interactionist would be looking at um, labels. And this is something particularly um, if you um, that sort of draws closer to mental health, uh, particularly when we think about inappropriate labels that mental health um, has drawn over the years, even little things like when we talk to our friends, we always go, oh, you're so crazy, right? This is obviously referring to things like a very casual insult we, we say to people. Um, and so um, if you're a symbolic interactionist, you're looking at the wording around healthcare, particularly things like mental health and labeling, um, because we use this idea of mental illness to um, label differences, right? And that's, I have that on slide 15, um, symbolic, inter symbolic interactionists would definitely be looking at how, how we do this, the, how we use this type of behavior um, to put down people who, who uh, might have a mental health issue um, and how casually it enters into our conversation. Okay, the last section here, I just look at um, sort of how health um, affects in terms of our race, class, and gender. Um, and then I end with sort of resources um, in terms of how far we've gone with disabilities and mental health in this country. Um, so I'll start with sort of uh, our looking at some statistics of class, gender, and race and health. Um, obviously, class wealthier nations have better access to healthcare, and in the U.S. we see that people um, have people with more money have more access with healthcare. So, class economic class is really important when it comes to healthcare. Um, because there's such an imbalance here in the U.S., um, we we are definitely in terms of thinking about how wealthier nations have better access to healthcare. We we definitely sometimes. Um, uh, prove that that rule untrue, where we see that um, Sioux Indians, for example, in South Dakota, who are among the poorest people, um, they have an average lifespan of 66 years for women and 56 years for men. Um, and that's a really low lifespan that that's probably on the equivalent to someone in living, um, I think, for men in the Congo, which their lifespans are on 50. Um, but we also have another exceptions like Bangladesh, for example, uh, where they have an average lifespan of 71 years, which is, um, a couple years, uh, below the U S average lifespan. Um, and so with, and they have a very low income in terms of, of a nation. Um, and as I said, we think of the Cuban case, right? Cuba, um, has the same life expectancy as those in the U S with not a lot of money. And so there are other ways to get past sort of class conundrum in terms of health, preventative care being obviously one of the big ones. Um, however, of course, if you have more access to better doctors, more research, medicine, et cetera, et cetera, um, you're more likely to, um, it's, you're, you're more likely to have better healthcare.
or, or a longer life expectancy. Um, in terms of gender, we see that women outlive men by about five years. Um, and we talked about this before when we think about mental health. Again, the way masculinity is is shown in our country is really detrimental to health, um, especially with men have higher rates, things like suicide, for example. Um, and also because I, my Dr. Birdsong, um, talked about this, it's, it's the way men usually do suicide compared to women, uh, where they're more likely to do more violent types of ways of suicide and therefore more successful ways of suicide. Um, and so that's why they have a higher uh, death rate when it comes to that, which is really scary. Um, they also have higher risks to things like accidents and violence, uh, based on this sort of masculinity around aggression. And so that's one reason why we see that. Um, however, when we think about gender and, and, and paying in terms of medical insurance, um, women on an average would pay more. This is especially true before the ACA, um, where women were definitely paying more than their male counterparts. We also see that things like pregnancy was once considered a pre-existing condition, so that made it harder for women to acquire insurance. Um, in terms of race, um, we have some really kind of interesting statistics in race, um, where on the uh, we see again um, where race plays a huge racial bias um, in terms of not having access to better healthcare, but also not um, doctors not believing people when they go or not taking their cases seriously. COVID has also exposed this a lot more. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen these statistics, but people of color are more likely to die of COVID than their white counterpart. And this is also true for young kids. Um, there's been countless cases where um, black men have gone to the hospital, black men, black women, uh, Latinx men and women have gone to the hospital um, and have been said, oh, I have these, I'm, I'm sick and I have, you know, I'm coughing. And then they just have been sent home and not taken very seriously. Um, and so people of color um, really in terms of, of having a racial bias um, in the healthcare system is, is, is very real um, and really important to kind of think about. We do have some interesting statistics on race, though, however, uh, Latinx. And again, I have on my slides have Hispanic women. When I wrote this slide, um, Latinx hadn't turned, hadn't come into play, but Latinx is, is the pr appropriate term um, or outlive their um, black or white or Asian counterparts. Um, and they're more likely to survive things like cancer, heart disease um, or things like stroke. And that's a really a lot of people ponder why this is like health is, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to trace because so many things contribute to this, uh, particularly, uh, this might be the case because of, they have, um, very strong communal ties and having a strong community community is very important in terms of health. Um, it could be based on immigration status, um, where people argue that immigration is hard and therefore those who immigrate are usually the most robust, um, and so in terms of looking at race and gender, um, there's a lot of interesting healthcare questions that are not answered because not, not studied as much. Um, and, and so something to kind of think about. I'm sorry, guys. I've known I gone, I've gone over time and I'm, I'm trying really hard to keep these under 20 minutes and I never seem to succeed. Um, my last thing I just want to talk about is, as I said, looking at disability uh, services, um, particularly the Americans with Disability Act. And this is this is a really big change when we think about health in our country. Um, right. The ADA did not always exist and pushing to um 
to end a lot of laws that discriminate against people with uh, disabilities in employment and in public accommodations has been a really big movement for the past uh, 30 years or so. And something to to kind of think about when we have ramps in our in our schools, for example, um, or, you know, elevator friendly buildings, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that didn't always exist. Um, and so I really would encourage you guys to look at these organizations like NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, um, look at the ADA, the history of the ADA. Um, I, they're, they've been so beneficial in terms of our society um, and something that I think would make a really good research paper. All right, guys, that being said, I don't want to bore you to death um, and affect your mental health. Um, I hope you guys are staying safe out there, and I will see you back for week 11. Please study for your exam. Bye-bye.